Oh, we got to talk about baseball again, do we? Oh, joy. Good morning, afternoon, evening to all of you wonderful ladies, gentlemen, and everyone else listening. This is the Royal Deluxe Podcast, a podcast bringing you breaking news and analysis of the Kansas City Royals every Monday and Friday as part of the Fans First Sports Network. Thanks very much for listening. I'm Lux, at least that's what I keep telling people, and I have gone down another out-of-the-park baseball rabbit hole. Um, I should tell, I should post all about what I did to the 2021 Royals, who finished 80 and 82 that season. How exciting! I, I'm so good at being a general manager, much better than Dayton Moore. I'm going to have fun living in an alternate universe where things actually went well. Th- th- my secret? Lots and lots of trades. Also, out-of-the-park baseball, AI is pretty terrible in general. But in any case, I'll post about that on the MF in KC on Twitter. But if you don't care about that at all, at Royal Deluxe Pod, that's the podcast Twitter where we talk about more Royals-related stuff that's actually real whether we like it or not. And so, for better or for worse, the Royals did not play any baseball since we last spoke on Monday because it was the All-Star break. The only baseball that was being played was by Salvador Perez, who made his eighth All-Star appearance, was subbed in pretty late into the game as a designated hitter, and got a single! Woo! Let's go! You know, we were kind of afraid. Like, Salvi was really bad for the last week or so, or maybe even longer than that. I mean, I feel, I feel like he struck out every single plate appearance in the last three games of the series. Or I guess it was actually a, it was actually a four-game series against the Cleveland Guardians leading up to the All-Star break. I mean, it was just really, really bad. So it's really good that he got a base hit in his one shot at the All-Star game. We just love to see that. It's like, hopefully that's the, that's the start of something good. Maybe. I don't know. I mean, I'm never worried about Salvi long-term because we, we always see him go through these struggles. But finally... When the Royals have one slightly big moment, they actually get to have something nice. Because even in the uh, the All-Star Futures game, the All-Star Prospects game, the MLB Futures game, our the Royals' one representative was the reliever Will Klein, who I think got the loss for the game, gave up two runs or something, just had a really bad outing. It's like, what? Why is every single individual thing that doesn't even matter? It doesn't even have to matter that much. But like, why is everything about the Royals just wrong and bad this season? What what is this? What did we do? What have we done? Is it is this the baseball getting revenge on us for 2015 and not even winning the World Series, but like abusing the All Star voting so that MLB had to actually like come in and fix it? Like I, I don't. Can't you take a joke? But worry not, my friends. The Royals are coming back today. There will be Major League Baseball being played by the Kansas City Royals. (laughs) And boy, (laughs) I can't wait. But before we preview this three-game series against the Tampa Bay Rays, oh boy, we get to play them again, huh? All right. Uh, There are a couple other things that we got to talk about. First of all is the draft the MLB draft. We talked a little bit about it, which I feel like we talked about the most important picks, which were the top three picks, the first, second round picks uh, that the Royals made on Sunday. So we talked about those and I gave my thoughts on them, but how do I feel about the rest of the draft now that all of it has been completed and it looks like 
guys are signing already. Um, haven't really heard any like uh, conflicts within uh, the signing bonuses or whatever. Like whatever the signability is what I wanted to say. It seems like everybody is going to sign with the Royals, so that's pretty good. And um, then then also because you know we're kind of at the halfway point of the calendar year. Uh, at least within the sport of baseball, I want to revisit some expectations. Some things that I said about the team going into the season, I specifically had an episode titled Four um, Things to Look Forward to, Four Hot and Four Hot Takes for the 2023 season. So I want to revisit those hot takes. How are we doing on those? Oh boy. And also, I want to talk about a couple of players that I think we really need to see improve in the second half and maybe how. Can they improve? Although, spoiler alert, we've talked about these guys a lot. They've been pretty hot topics within the Royals community. And then I have a bit of a Q&A section. On last episode, I said that I would be taking questions, anything that you guys want me to answer, anything you guys want to uh, talk about. And I did get a couple of questions. I also posted this on Twitter. And yeah, I had, I had three really good questions that I am looking forward to uh, talking about with you guys. And then we'll talk about the upcoming Three-game series against the Tampa Bay Rays, the uh, best team in baseball. Not anymore, actually. It's now the Braves who are the best team in baseball. Still a lot better than the Royals, though. So going back to the draft, um, I I was pretty harsh on the draft, admittedly, on day one. I just outright said that the Royals failed. I was not really enthusiastic about the guys that they drafted. I was not enthusiastic about the talent that they brought back. And it's not that I think that the Royals brought back untalented players or anything like that. It's not even, it's not really meant to disrespect the people that were selected in the draft because I do believe that they can be good. And it's not like I don't think the Royals are, you know, don't know what they're talking about or anything, but I feel like, like I really questioned if it was the best that they could do. And more specifically, I was really questioning what the overall plan with the draft was because my main complaint is just that there wasn't any kind of common theme. Like, they didn't go after a specific target demograph uh, based on positional or based on positions or based on age. Like, they took two high school players and then one college player. They took a, a, a catcher, a high school pitcher, and a high school catcher, two extremely risky demographics, and then a college outfielder who seems to be a really safe pick, but that college pitcher was also like, or not the college pitcher, the college outfielder was also, it seems like he's going to be a really big underslot value kind of guy, but no one else in the draft seemed like they were going to be an over overslot kind of guy to kind of help even that out, I just did not really see what the Royals were doing. And and it's not even that they had to have some kind of specific theme. If they just went with the best available player, I don't think that the Royals went with the best available players. I don't think they drafted the best guys available at the positions they drafted in. I don't think that Blake Mitchell was the eighth best player in the draft. Granted, there is very little I actually understand about the draft. I just I, I somewhat outsource my opinions to lots of other places. I just read up on what many others are saying. But that's kind of why I'm saying if, if, if I don't know, I don't think Blake Mitchell was the eighth best player in the draft when basically every list that I'm looking at has him draft has him like ranked 14th at highest or something like that. And then there is of course the risk of high school catchers. High school catchers who are drafted have a very, very little chance of even making the major leagues. Like, I think it's been said that if Kyle Mitchell 
gets a gets a base hit in the in Major League Baseball, it will be the first time a high school catcher was drafted and then got a hit in baseball since Joe Maurer. Like that's how that's how low the success rate is for high school catchers. It practically never happens. And of all teams, the Royals, whose player development has gone so well that after six years of rebuilding, they're barreling towards one of the, if not the, worst MLB season of all time, think that they're going to kind of break that curse, I suppose? I don't know. Or maybe they could move him to the outfield, which I guess would be fair, except he's a 35-grade runner. I don't like that. Just have lots of questions about Blake Mitchell. Now, I mean, no prospect would have been perfect, admittedly. Like, there is no such thing as a, as a player who you draft in MLB and you can say, okay, this is a good player right now, nothing to worry about, and we'll just plop him into the MLB roster right now. And he can start playing, and he, he, he's an all-star player right there. If he did, if I mean, if that were to happen, he would go number one overall. Developing MLB players is really, really difficult, and it takes a long time. But that's kind of why I just wasn't really sure if the Royals got the right guy. Are they going to develop this guy into whatever they want? I mean, just the fact that there's questions about his ability to catch long-term, that's another thing. It's like, like, no, like nothing about this seems like, oh, okay, th- this is totally going to work out. Which is, uh, there are just so many question marks about this guy's game. And for what upside exactly? That's the other thing I really question. It's like, how good of a player do they really think this guy is? Um, Danny Ontiveros, Royal Scouting Director, said that he's like Bryce Harper, which, okay, maybe. Seems like a pretty bold take especially since that I haven't really seen anybody else say something like that. But I don't know. They're the ones who are, the, they're the professionals. They're the ones who are paid to do this job. I'm just a guy on the internet with a microphone. I don't get paid to do this. But I just find it really questionable. But in any case, we weren't really supposed to be talking about Blake Mitchell all that much because we already talked about Blake Mitchell on Sunday. We're supposed to be talking about um, the rest of the draft. How do I feel about the draft now that it's all over? Did the Royals end up having some kind of grand vision that I could, you know, see later on? Like, oh, in retrospect, now the Blake Mitchell pick makes much more sense. And these other picks, they make much more sense. Okay, I get I get it. Good job, Royals. Unfortunately, no. I don't, I like, nothing that happened later on in the draft has really convinced me that the Royals, I don't know, got, a, got an adequate pool of talent. Now, I said this on Monday, so I'll say it again. This is not me saying that I, you know, hope that this pool of talent that these guys that they drafted, that they don't pan out. This is not me, you know, counting anybody out. Maybe the Royals will end up being proven right. Maybe in just a year, we'll see that these these guys are all just playing extremely well in the minor leagues, and we'll be like, oh, okay, they, they cooked in this draft. They were actually right all along. And if that happens, great. I would love to see it. I just don't see it right now. Just on paper, everything about this draft is like, what was the plan here? Like, I don't, I don't see any kind of vision. I don't see any kind of theme. There were no late round guys. I mean, I think they did get some guys who are going to be expected to go over slot in the later rounds, but none that are like, oh, okay, this was like a third round talent that they got in the 16th round, kind of like they did with uh, David Sandlin. 
a year or two ago. Just nothing really in this draft said like, oh man, Royals got like crazy value right here. This talent right here, oh yeah, this is the best guy. The best guy they could have gotten. I think that's like my main issue. It's like, did they really get the best guys that they could have gotten? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be a little bit hypocritical and I apologize for this, but I was criticizing the possibility of getting Noble Meyer earlier on in the draft um, before the draft actually happened because, you know, right-handed prep pitchers, another guy who has a really low chance of succeeding but at the very least you could you could you could see why some would expect him to be a top 10 pick you could see why maybe the royals would be interested in him because he's a high schooler who throws like a hundred he sits 98 or something like that like there really is a potentially generational talent in this in this guy so looking back i'm kind of wondering why didn't the royals just go all in on upside like, I mean, you're, you're gambling no matter what with, um, sorry, I got distracted because someone DM'd me on Discord. Anyway, you're, you're gambling no matter what with the draft. Like, no, like there is never, there is no such thing as a guaranteed successful, like a, like a, like we can say that some picks are safe, but the, even safe picks aren't guaranteed. See Gavin Cross, who got off to a pretty bad start this season and even now isn't convincingly great. And he was considered to be a really safe pick. Practically a surefire major league player. Yeah, I don't know. But Noble Meyer, I mean, this guy's going to be really freaking good if he hits. And now I think that he really is going to be good because he went to the Marlins. He's going to, yeah, that's just a, a fantastic team for him to be drafted to. So that guy's going to be a star. But I'm, I'm starting to think that the Royals should have gotten a guy like him just to dream on the upside. Just to say, okay, look, this guy is just freaking nuts. He was the best, he was the most talented player we could have gotten at, at this pick, and maybe do that for some other picks later on. This is the jolt of talent that this farm system really needs. I at least wish they did that, but they didn't seem to do that either. They just kind of did whatever they felt like, I guess. I don't know. They just kind they seriously just confounded everybody. Like, even... Even the sort of expert analysts, like on ESPN, are just looking at them like, what are they doing? <laughs> like, what Like what was that? I don't know. I guess if there's any consolation, it's that we know that this is the draft of J.J. Piccolo and Lonnie Goldberg and Danny Ontiveros. Because there will be no excuses for them if this draft doesn't work out if the royals don't get any kind of good player from this draft if in a couple of years none of these guys look like they're panning out then we know who to blame for this team's problems because i went back on on sunday or maybe it was on friday yeah it was on sunday on monday rather i went back and looked at some of the past drafts like the most recent drafts of last of the last several years and i feel like whether or not those drafts had panned out, at least there was some kind of theme. There was an idea in place. There was a philosophy in place. Like, I mean, best example is the college pitchers draft in 2018, the oops all college pitchers draft. On paper, it wasn't a bad idea. I mean, maybe it was a bad idea for the Royals specifically, but like who's, who is to blame for none of these guys turning into good pitchers? Like, is it really whoever decided to draft these guys? Like, whoever whoever came down with a mandate saying, okay, okay, scouting department, look at every pitcher that is in college right now. 
because we're going to probably draft him. Is it that guy's fault? Is it whoever decided on the picks like, okay, Brady Singer at 18th, Jackson Coar at 33rd. Is it their fault or is it just whoever was responsible for making these guys capable of pitching at the major league level by moving them through the farm system, through the minor league system, and then coaching them at the major league level? Is it their fault? I don't know. Like, we don't have completely conclusive evidence as to whose fault it was for the 2018 draft being so bad. But now, this draft will know because we told the Royals to do something else. And the Royals did something that no one was expecting. They simply went on their own whims. They're like, hey, we know what we're doing. Okay, you better be freaking right. Because, man, if they're wrong, then all these guys are gone. I guess this goes back to what I said like last year, basically, when Dayton Moore got fired and J.J. Piccolo was taken over as the general manager or took over as the general manager, I said he can't have more than a couple of years. There's no way Sherman will allow another five-year non-rebuild to happen or something like that. It has to be a short leash. Well, in a couple of years, we'll know for sure if J.J. Piccolo is the right guy for the job. I know a lot of y'all want to get rid of him right now, but let's put it this way. What if they're right? What if J.J. Piccolo and the scouting guys, what if all, what if these guys are actually right? And in a couple of years, these guys are playing pretty well. And it's, and they're turning into top prospects. And it's like, oh, these, these guys, the, the Royals actually played that draft pretty smartly. They seem to really know what they're doing. But then we fired them because, oh no, the major league team is, right, is bad right now and it's all their fault. Well, then we just fire these guys who who made some really smart draft decisions, made some really smart draft picks, some really good scouting. Oh no. <laughs> kind of like uh that guy that like the old Royal scout who uh was fired back when Dayton Moore was pretty new and now he's with the Diamondbacks and he's just kicking ass over there. It's like whoops. <laughs> A little awkward right there. I think the Royals are just kind of stuck where they are for the next at the very least the next year. Or so. I mean, even if next year the guys that they drafted this year aren't panning out, then yeah, maybe it maybe it'd be time to kick them out by this time next year. I don't know, but everybody involved, including us as fans, as bystanders, as onlookers, we're just gonna have to frickin' hope that they know what they're doing and that they'll make us look like utter fools for doubting their big brain galactic IQ draft picks so my thoughts on this draft overall f frankly i don't like the guys that the royals drafted i'm not confident in them but they i could be wrong and i would love to be wrong and if i'm wrong then all right nothing to say other than hey this is why i'm not getting paid to do what the royals do so moving on from that let's look back on some things that i actually did say and may or may not have been wrong about Askra, no, I was totally wrong about this. I want to revisit those uh, hot takes that I said, the four hot takes that I had at the beginning of the season, because, man, are they depressing to see <laughs> right now. So I said one thing is that the Royals would have multiple All-Stars, and I specified that it would be at least three, because I wanted to say multiple as in, because I say, saying that the Royals would have multiple All-Stars, it actually felt a little more likely than you might think, because I kind of said that Salvi was like a guaranteed all-star. 
Like, Salvi always gets in. He's just that guy. He's he, uh, So I expected that. That was like a freebie. But I also thought Scott Barlow, being as good of a reliever as he has been for the last couple of years, might also get in. So I, I, wanted, to th- I wanted to think that. Like, the Royals are going to have a reliever make an appearance in the All-Star game, and it could be Scott Barlow. I feel like he deserved it. Like, I do feel like Scott Barlow has been an all-star reliever, maybe not necessarily this season, unfortunately, but definitely the last two seasons. So I thought he was pretty likely. So that's why I wanted to say three. Like, maybe it's going to be Bobby Wood Jr. Maybe it's going to be Vinny Pasquantino. Unfortunately, none of that has happened. The Royals only had one all-star. It was Salvi. Some don't even think he should have been an all-star. It is what it is. Oh, well. The second hot take, the one that I was definitely right about, although it probably wasn't even that hot of a take. Like, this really was not that hot of a take. But I said that Hunter Dozier would not finish this season with the Royals. Ding, ding, I won. Yay, Hunter Dozier is gone. And although funny enough, I said, like, on the podcast, like, again, I was really framing this. Like, this was not going to happen. Maybe I underestimated J.J. Piccolo's willingness to actually move on from mistakes. So, because I was thinking that, okay, Hunter Dozier, he's going to be DFA'd, but it's not going to happen until, like, August or September. Like, he's going to play out most of the season with the Royals because he still owed a pretty significant amount of money, at least significant in the Royals' eyes, since they don't spend a whole lot of money. So I thought they're going to really do everything they can to make sure that they can at least get something. So I was thinking that he's going to like survive the trade deadline and then, or actually maybe even think somehow he could be traded away in like a salary dump to some just total sucker team like the A's. I mean, I don't know. They did that to the Reds last year. They traded, they traded Mike Miner. That was a horrible trade for the Reds. You know, some, some say that the, the, that both sides lost that trade. I'm like, how did the Royals lose that trade? They traded Mike Miner's like $12 million salary. I think it was $10 million. So he could like not even pitch, basically. And when he did, he was like a, he had like a 6.5 ERA. He was absolutely awful. And sure, the Royals got back Amir Garrett, but that was significantly less money spent there. The Royals saved so much money by trading Mike Miner. And Amir Garrett was like non-offensively mediocre. So whatever. So I thought, I don't know, if that happened... In the past, maybe the Royals can do it again with Hunter Dozier. Didn't happen. Instead, they just cut him in, uh, when did it happen? I don't know, June or so. Yeah, Hunter Dozier's gone. So I was right about that. Probably not that hot of a take, though. <laughs> Probably my safest take. Um, the third take that I had is that the Royals were going to have an average or better pitching staff by ERA+. plus. Yeah, um... <laughs> I don't know. I was just really drinking the Kool-Aid, watching them in spring training. It's like, wow, look at all this new stuff they're doing. Everyone looks so great. These, these new pitching coaches, the new philosophies that they're installing. It's looking really great. The Royals might really turn this around. So, you know, average pitching staff by ERA+, plus. that means they would have to have a 100 ERA+. plus. You know what it is instead? 84. So it's actually 16% below league average, which doesn't really say all that much. It's one of the worst pitching staffs in all of baseball. So, no. Um, 
Yeah. You know, I just randomly I, I I was trying to quickly search for stuff on Fangraphs. And uh I was looking I was trying to get the team stats, but inst- I didn't actually do that. Instead, I just have pitching stats for all pitchers. And then I sorted by ERA in reverse order. So here is the starting pitcher with the worst ERA in baseball. You know who it is. It's Jordan Lyles. 6.42. Second place is Lance Lynn of the White Sox with a 6.03 ERA. Third place, Brady Singer of the Royals. 5.8 ERA. Fourth place, Zach Greinke of the Royals. 5.44. Of course, this includes only qualified starters, which I guess isn't maybe a ton. But still, that's pretty. (laughs) That's funny, I suppose, in its own sick, twisted way. Um, I meant to say that as a team, the Royals have a 5.27 ERA, which is the third worst in baseball. So, yeah. Whoopsies. And I also said my fourth hot take was that the Royals were going to be a top 12 team in slugging percentage. I thought that with the way the Royals, the, the, the Royals rookies had started to hit at the end of last season, I thought it was really going to uh, just overall improve this team. I thought that, like, 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 like seriously, Royals did have some really good stats when it came to the rookies. And the Royals were only adding on to that. They were only adding on to the youth movement this season. So I thought that, you know, with these young guys hitting the ball really hard and and, and genuinely being one of the best teams in baseball in, in hitting the ball hard, I thought that, you know, we're going to see a lot of doubles this season. We're going to see a lot of triples. We're going to see a lot of home runs from these kids. So, yeah, I thought they'll be a top 12 slugging uh, team doesn't necessarily mean they'll be like a great offensive team, but I do think that they would have this particular strength about them. And their slugging percentage as a team is 28th. So, um, maybe I'll just uh, not say anything ever again for the rest of my life because everything I say is bad and wrong. And then I'll really quickly uh, reference the, uh, the team predictions that I made across all of baseball because that's just all out of whack. I said the Reds were going to be a 100-loss team. I like. I mean, what reason did I have to, to believe that the Reds were going to be a good team this season? They're winning the division. How? Why? I don't... What? Okay, whatever. And you know who I thought was going to win the division? Cardinals. Yeah, who would have thought that not having Yadier Molina would just be the demise of the St. Louis Cardinals? I mean, I'm not... I'm certainly not weeping for them, but still... Sheesh. Like, basically every division that I predicted is wrong. I said the Mets were going to win the division. I should have known better than to trust the freaking Mets. I mean, I don't know. I thought that throwing so much money at that team would actually get over some kind of issues that they have. But no, Mets are going to be the Mets forever. Um, I'll just uh, pick Braves every season moving forward. Thought the Dod- thought the Padres were going to win that division. And, man, that's definitely the team that I'm the most confused by because I thought that the Padres were going to be really good this season because they kind of removed any and all uncertainties that they had throughout their last several years, honestly. Like, 
they they got Tatis back. They just put him in a place and said, all right, just sit in right field and be good. Stop screwing up. Okay, fair enough. Um, they extended Machado. They got rid of Hosmer after arguing about it for so many years. It's like they they did they did they they did these things that many have been asking questions about for years, and they finally like solved them. They they even beat L.A. They beat the Dodgers. So great. And um, so I just thought, you know, now that the team is just complete, it feels like they're just going to be able to play. There's no more uncertainty with them. And also, they added Xander Bogarts. Like they added. This, this this team had been so inconsistent, and then they go ahead and add one of the most consistent players in the entire sport. I'm like, yeah, that was perfect. That was such a great idea. And now the Padres suck. I guess i I don't know. I don't. I don't know, dude. It makes no sense to me. Whatever. Not my problem. I guess. Um, although I I will take a small W for saying that the Diamondbacks were going to be good. I said the Diamondbacks would have 82 wins this season, but I do still feel like that was opti- more optimistic than many others. I said that the, that the Diamondbacks were going to be sneaky good. Like, I was saying, hey, these guys are up to something. I wouldn't be surprised if there's something going on over there. And yeah, they're definitely a lot better than I expected, but I do think that my hunch was right a little bit. Anyway, I uh, had Mariners winning the division. I really thought the Mariners were just going to pop off this season. And, I mean, they're not bad. They're not out of it. So it's not out of the question that they'll, you know, show up to the playoffs this season. But they, ha- they have been kind of disappointing. Not going to lie. I thought the Astros were going to fall off a little bit. They actually kind of have. But that's because the, the Rangers are much better. But I did kind of think the Rangers would be good, too. I thought the Rangers would be a 500 team. They're a lot better than that. I'm not too surprised by it. Um... The Blue Jays, I thought, were going to win the AL East. And, I mean, they're I mean, they're, they're not bad for what it's worth. It's just that the Rays are so much better. I only had the Rays finishing third with 87 wins. I just, I mean, I, th- I always think the Rays are just a consistently good team, but never, like, the best team or anything like that. Not a top-tier team. No, they're a top-tier team this season. I was wrong about that. Whoops. I was also wrong about the Orioles. I said they were going to finish with 77 wins. I just did not think that the, the Orioles improved their roster all that much. So, and, and and I also wanted to say that, you know, it's a tough division. Someone has to lose in this one. Um, which, funny enough, I said the, the, the last place team for that division would be the Red Sox with 68 wins. I thought the Red Sox were going to suck. No, every team in the, in the AL East is good this season. Okay, I'm sorry for not predicting that. I don't know. Wanted to think more realistically. Like, everything would be balanced. But anyway, I thought the Blue Jays would be good, and the Blue Jays are fine, but Alec Manoa has definitely tanked them. They uh like like that is a huge blow to them that I that they can't really recover from. They really need that guy to get going. I don't know what the deal is with him. I don't know. Not my issue. And then the one thing that I think I was kind of right about is that so far, um the American League Central has been a pretty ass division. I said that the twins were gonna win it with eighty seven wins. And I really do think that's going to happen still. Like, I think the Twins are the best team in this division. They have the best pitching staff. and One of the best pitching staffs in baseball It's just that their offense is terrible. But I think that they'll pull ahead. I think they'll have a much better second half. I think they'll win this division just with 87 wins. It's not going to be a lot. I think the Guardians are going to come in second with 84 wins. I still think that's going to happen. It does look like that's happening. Uh, Guardians are always just a very okay team. Uh, I had the White Sox going 500. <laughs> Which they're worse than that. I mean, I kind of wanted to give them like 
some credit because I thought, yeah, they got some talent on that roster, but I don't think that they're going to be any much better than they were last season. No, it turns out they're way worse. Oh, well, not my problem. And then I thought the Royals were going to finish with a 76 and 86 record. I don't want to talk about that. So looking at the second half, there are some guys that really need to improve on this roster. And I'm going to kind of just rapid fire this because we've talked about this a lot. Um, and there are guys that everybody is kind of looking at as they're, they're being very heavily scrutinized right now. It's MJ Melendez, Brady Singer, Nick Prado. Nick Prado is someone that I've just kind of avoided talking about because he was hitting well for a while, but he has not lately. I mean, like even even right now, his his overall stats aren't bad. 246 average, 331 on base, 388 slugging. We don't like like that too much, but uh, it's only a 719 OPS. But it, his OPS plus is 100, so at least it's average. But we do kind of need that to go up if he's going to be a first baseman or a corner outfielder because that's not a very high defensive uh, position right there. So we need the offense to step up a little bit. But lately, Nick Prado has been quite um, bad. I don't even know when specifically like the drop-off started to happen. I'll just say June 19th, he was hitting 284. So going from June 20th to July 8th, he's been hitting 145. That's 18 games right there. And he, 18 games and 34 strikeouts, by the way. He is striking out a freaking ton. And sure, Nick Prado is going to be a high strikeout guy, but I mean, you can't strike out that much especially with that kind of production. And the, the maybe even scarier thing that's happening is that Nick Prado was riding a super high BABIP. The bat, batting average on balls in play was super high. And the thing is, it's still super high. It's still around 400, and it should only be 300. So that's going to come down one way or another. And what's going to happen to this guy when it does finally normalize? It's going to be really ugly if he strikes out so much. But what's like especially weird about Nick Prado is that like you look at his savant page and it's almost weirdly inconsistent. Like he hits the ball hard pretty often, but he doesn't have the high exit velocity. His average exit velocity is pretty crap. He doesn't chase that often. He's actually one of the better players in baseball when it comes to when it comes to not swinging at pitches outside of the zone. But he swings and misses a lot anyway. He's one of he's one of the he has one of the highest whiff percentages in all of baseball. So he's just kind of like an 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 wow! I cannot say that. Oh my god! I can't say an enigma. That was impossible for me. That was literally impossible. Because, but anyway, he's deciding to mostly chase or not no, not chase. He's mostly swinging at pitches in the zone, but he's missing at them a lot. And when he does hit them, he hits them pretty hard. But he's not posting very high exit velocities a lot of the time. He's even barreling the ball like. I don't I don't know how you hit the ball hard and also put the barrel on it pretty often, but have a low exit velocity. What does that even mean? That's the thing that perplexes me the most. But the one thing that is pretty obvious is that he's swinging at pitches in the zone and just missing them. He's just not simply dealing enough damage to pitches in the zone. MJ Melendez is a much, it's a much different issue. He's also striking out a lot, but that's because he is chasing a little too much. He needs to not freaking chase. He is going to have a low batting average, but he can make up for that by simply taking walks. He can't catch up to pitches outside of the zone. He needs to lay off of them. But we've talked about that, and I've also talked about Brady Singer, his issues. 
Main thing, maybe throw a pitch that's not a sinker and in a place that's not at the bottom of the zone, where everybody knows where it's going to go. Maybe be a little less obvious as a pitcher and it might pay off. So we'll see what happens with the se- in the second half with these guys. I think the Royals really need these guys to get going. These two hitters and this one pitcher, like that really would change the team around. If these guys all went from terrible to pretty good, yeah, then you're, you're going to see a team go from 110 losses to, well, hey, at least 100. Baby steps, folks. Baby steps. Anyway, uh, so I'm going to do, I'm going to add something to the show for a second. And then when we get back, we'll talk about some questions that you guys had for me and then the upcoming series against the Tampa Bay Rays. And we're back. Thank you very much for your patience. And thank you very much for your questions. I posted on Friday and also on, it was on, it was on Monday rather. And I also posted on Twitter that I was doing a, I was going to take a couple of questions for the show. Would love to hear what you guys had to say and hopefully I can answer back. So here are a couple of questions from Scott Castle. They were sent to the email at royaldeluxepodcast at gmail.com. There's no at before that. I don't know. I just said that randomly. Force of habit. Anyway, his first question was, what is with DFAing Amir Garrett so quickly without a trade partner? Was it some weird need to open a roster spot when you have nitwit like Whitgren, Clark, and Quas giving up runs by the dozens? I know Garrett's came... I know Garrett's game plan of walking the first guy every time is not great, but he seemed like he had a serviceable arm despite being 31. Yeah, you know, it really is a perplexing thing what the Royals did with Amir Garrett. And my only answer, I suppose, is that they just didn't think that they had any trade offers for Amir Garrett. They didn't think there was a trade market for him, and they just wanted to simply move on, I guess. I mean, the arm is serviceable, and in a way, I guess, like, the ERA is good, but, like, I mean, was it really all that serviceable? He has a 5.5 whip and a 1.7 whip, which are both just horrible, and an expected ERA of 4.84. So there is some something to suggest that Amir Garrett is getting pretty lucky, actually. I mean, especially, I mean, walking so many guys, walking seven batters per game, per nine innings, is never a good sign. I mean, let's put it this way. Last year, Amir Garrett had a 4.96 ERA with fewer walks, and fewer hits per inning. And also, funny enough, he didn't give up a single home run all season. He's already given up four this season. Maybe the Royals just wanted to cut to the chase and say, you know what, this guy is just simply not very good. We're not going to sit around and wait for this guy to implode like we think he will, so let's just get rid of him. And honestly, I don't know. Maybe there were some clubhouse shenanigans. Maybe they just didn't like him. I don't know. And also, they have some young guys that they want to try out. This probably isn't a satisfactory answer. And if it, if it were me asking this question, I probably wouldn't be satisfied with this answer myself. But, I mean, admittedly, I don't quite get it either. This is just what I think the Royals are thinking. The Royals do still have a couple of days to trade Amir Garrett before they have to either add him back to the 40-man roster or just outright release him. So... This is not completely over. There is still time for something to happen here. It is pretty weird no matter what, though. Now, Scott's next question is uh, kind of a doozy. So he asks, 
instead of selecting serious lottery picks, which taking high school catchers and right-handed pitchers with your first two picks really is, would it not have made more sense to take the best players that are as close to MLB ready as possible? I know the Royals are year off from, years off from being a competitive team, but my thinking is that to take the best and closest to MLB ready players, move them through the system, and then trade them, along with their full years of control, to a team with a deeper and younger high A or, or double A prospect that seem to be panning out. To me, the possibility of having at least one of your close to MLB players make it and subsequently find a team to trade him to is much more realistic than compared to these random high school lottery attempts, especially at the two positions that every other team's stay away from, catchers and right-handed pitchers. It really pained me that they passed on Kyle Teal for the reason above. He would open up for Teal or for me to be traded in one to two years while they are still cheap and under team control and return some actual prospects. Okay, so this is a lot, but I think I, I see what you're asking. Like, why did the Royals go for risky high school players who are still, who are going to take longer to develop and have a much lower chance of success than a college player who has a higher chance of being successful, a, a successful MLB player and will also get there in a faster amount of time? I, I think that's what you're asking. Now, I, I kind of see what you're saying, and to an extent I would I would agree, or at least I want to agree with it. But I just don't think that teams operate that way. No team is really thinking, oh, we're going to draft this guy. And then once he's looking like a, a, he'll be an MLB regular, we'll trade him for prospects. And then those prospects will be a better team. Or they'll help form a better team a, a couple years beyond that. I mean, it kind of seems like extra steps just in general. Like, why don't you just draft a player and then make him a good player and then have a team around him? That would be ideal, wouldn't it? And I I just don't trust any kind of strategy that would involve a trade. Like, you should never have to resort to trading a player. Or rather, you should never have to tra resort to trading away a player. Like, trading away a player is just a sign of losing. You failed. This season is lost. You're going to trade away your assets and hope to invest in a better future. The Royals are not going to operate thinking that they're going to suck in a couple of years. We can we can all say that they will, but they are going to operate in a way where they think that they can be better in a couple of years and they're going to do whatever they can to be better in a couple of years. So they're not going to draft a guy with the expectation that they're going to trade him in a couple of years. They're going to draft a guy with the expectation that he's going to make your team better and you want to have a team around that guy in a couple of years. I mean, we all know the risks of Blake Mitchell, high school catchers and stuff like that, but so do the Royals. For what it's worth, it's not like the Royals were oblivious to this. Danny Ontivero said himself, we understand that there's a huge stigma against high school catchers, but we really think we got someone different with this guy. And even Blake Mitchell himself said, yeah, lots of people know that high school catchers don't work out very well, but I'm going to do whatever I can. I'm going to do my thing, and I'm going to hope to change that. So that's kind of the reason why the Royals would go with a riskier pick like that, because they simply think that they know that they can change that. They think that they're going to break this curse. So that's why I was saying they have to be right. They better be right. But also to your to your point, you could kind of see that the Royals did do that last season when they drafted Gavin Cross. I mean, it, it was not unrealistic to say that Gavin Cross could be dropped into high A after he was drafted, I think he wasn't. I think he was dropped into uh, Columbia. Um, but still, like some thought that he could be placed into high A and just mash for the rest of the season in 2022, start this season, start 2023 in double A, mash, 
and then move up to AAA, MASH, and then be in Kansas City by September this season. Like, that was a legitimate expectation for Gavin Cross. He he was thought to be that, that fast of a riser. Unfortunately, it's not happening. So, even going the safe route, like, like, like I said earlier, there is no such thing as, like, a guaranteed MLB player. There are some that are more or less likely, but you just never really know. But should Kyle Teal have been drafted instead? Yeah, probably. <laughs> so another question comes from Twitter, at 150 Guacamole. I love the reference here, 150 Guacamole. Their question is, the last two of three drafts have primarily added high school talent with knowledge that the 2020 draft Asa Lazy was a wasted pick. Should the Royals feel upset that the talent that talent isn't being put in the pipeline to reasonably support Bob Witt Jr. like it is for Julio and Adley? Well, the thing with Julio and Adley is that they already had that pipeline system to begin with. I mean, like, we're going to have to have a very serious conversation sooner or later about how long Bob Wood Jr. is actually going to be in Kansas City. Because the team that's built around him, like, it just kind of is what it is. I don't think that there's a reasonable way of, you know, just suddenly making it better in a couple of years with fresh faces. I mean, hopefully it, it improves. Hopefully it improves dramatically. But if you're asking, like, why aren't why didn't we draft guys who could be who could support Bobby a little bit more? Two reasons for that. Number one, you don't really draft based on what your MLB team needs. You don't really you don't draft based on need. You just simply draft the best player available, the best player you think you can get. But even if we were to draft someone like right now and say, okay. This guy's going to make the majors in a couple of years, and you know, then we'll have a team around Bobby Wood Jr. It's already going to be year four, or maybe even year five for Bobby Wood Jr. Like he's about to be a free agent, unless the Royals really have a plan to extend him long term. I just don't know. Like I don't know if it'll be worth it. I don't know if they'll be able to make it worthwhile. Should the Royals feel upset that there, you know, isn't enough talent around Bobby Wood Jr.? Yeah, absolutely. Like, totally. And, and I'm sure they are upset. I, I know John Sherman is upset because he fired Dayton Moore. Because it's Dayton Moore's fault. He didn't build this team properly. Like, I, I keep saying this. This is a team that Dayton Moore built. This was a mistake years in the making. These are the 2017, 2018, 2019 first round picks at play right here. 2020, Asa Lacey was wasted. Yeah, that sucks. Although, still, I do wonder if that was, you know, just on the Royals themselves or if they just have completely awful luck. But then, oh wait, why don't the Royals have like any draft picks from 2016 and before on their roster? Who who do they have from those years? Josh Stamont? Like, that's how bad the Royals were at drafting before 2017. But even then, yeah, they should have been better. Because Nick Prado and MJ, they're not exactly slam dunk good players right now. The 2018 draft class, we know how that went. The 2019 draft class, I mean, Bobby, Bobby's there, but what about the guy we got in, like, the supplemental first round, the bonus first round pick? Oh, yeah, no one knows what happened to that guy. He disappeared off the face of the earth. Or maybe he was a second round pick or something. No, th yeah, he was a second round pick, and then the bonus second round pick we got was uh, Alec Marsh, funny enough. So, I don't know, maybe there's hope for right there. But you know who the Orioles got with their second round pick? In the same draft, they got Adley Rutschman? Gunnar Henderson who is another top prospect. Like, the Orioles have just simply been way better at drafting than the Royals, and they have built their team way better. They've they spent many more... They, they spent much more time and effort into doing this. Like it or not, the, the Orioles fully tanked. They fully committed to losing. And the, and the Royals... 
They decided they were going to try competing with Whit Merrifield and Hunter Dozier and Mondesi and Solaire and Brad Keller instead of trading them away for assets maybe while they still could have. Yeah, they definitely should be upset, but I also am not entirely sure how they can really fix that, especially in time for Bobby Wood Jr. to, you know, actually be a controllable player for the team. And the last question comes from at the Dockbird 2. The people cry out for more information about your cat. What's his name? Can you touch his belly without a bite? What position would he play for the Royals? Then I had to clarify. <laughs> Which cat? I have two cats. Had three pretty recently. Unfortunately, one of them is no longer with us. Very sad. But I have two cats who are very different from each other. One is Macy. She's a small black cat who we've had forever. She's 13, I think. And man, she loves just meowing for attention constantly. She'll just meow until she gets her way, usually until you like pet her or pick her up. It'll usually me because I'm the only one who really who she really trusts or maybe go outside for a bit and then she'll come like running back onto the porch like 5 minutes later like going meow, meow, meow like why'd you let me out, asshole? It's like cuz you wanted me to. I don't I don't know what to tell you, dude. She's freaking annoying. But I love her. <laughs> She's awesome. Now, she is quite small, so maybe not the most ideal build for baseball, but with her speed and her range, her reflexes, I think that she would make a pretty good defensive shortstop. I think she'd have to be a just a backup because she doesn't have a whole lot of offensive power to her bat. But I think that I think, yeah, she can be a, a good backup shortstop. In fact, maybe you could just move her all around in the infield. I think she could fit anywhere. Second base. Maybe third, probably doesn't have a great arm, but it could be adequate. Again, great range. Now, my other cat is a big, white, spotted cat named Reggie. Technically, my mother's cat. Uh, there are some circumstances with that, long story. Um, but now he has completely devoted himself to me. He is a big old scaredy cat. He is super timid. He runs away from, like, everything, but... By process of elimination, he has decided to just stick around me, and now he just, like, never leaves me alone, ever. He sleeps with me on my bed every single night, and he is just a big lump of blubber. This cat is so freaking fat. I can't get him to lose weight because he doesn't play with, like, any cat toys or anything like that. He, he just wants to be, he just wants to snuggle all the time. That's all this cat ever wants to do. He just wants to lay around and snuggle with me. And I'm not going to lie, sometimes I can't resist because he's a big, squishy cat. He's just a big, squishy dude. Like, I don't know what to say. It's just freaking hilarious. And even funnier is that you can be, like, kind of rough with him. Like, you can grab him, pick him up, just kind of, like, swing him around. You can just, like, boom, 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 punch his belly a little bit. Like, beat him, like, just beat up that little fat belly of his. And he doesn't care. Like, he doesn't react negatively whatsoever. He's just like, oh, yeah, cool, fun. <laughs> So for that reason, I'm putting him at the catcher position, because he can just really take some blows back there. And he also slaps his tail around pretty violently. So I think that he's got some a real power bat right there behind the plate. Thank you for inquiring about my cats, because I'm very passionate about them. I think cats are really cool. Did I say his name is Reggie, by the way? I feel like I didn't say that. Anyway, Reggie. That's the white cat. Macy's the black cat. Oh, and also, you can touch Reggie's belly without a bite. Although, define bite. If we're talking, like, harsh, like, violent bites, no, he doesn't do that. But he does playfully bite. He does have some love bites. At least that's what I'm told they're called. 
He's a funny cat. They're both funny cats. Anyway, thanks y'all for your questions. They were great. So let's move on to the future. Let's talk about this upcoming three-game series against the Tampa Bay Rays. Second best team in baseball. They're just they're just good. We talked about them like a couple weeks ago, I think, because we played them then. They're not the best team in baseball anymore. They're only second best. 58 and 35 record. Only a couple of games in front of Baltimore, though, for uh, <laughs> for the NL East. That is a go- that is going to be a very fun uh, playoff race to watch right over there. Um, yeah, Tampa Bay Rays. Like we don't have to go into in depth about like what they do. We know what they do. They're good at everything. Uh, their ERA is fourth best in baseball, three point seven. Their offense is tied for the best in baseball with the Rangers. Funny enough, one hundred twenty-two weighted runs created plus. So yeah. There we go, team. And the three pitchers that we're going to see this series. First one is Tyler Glasnow on Friday. Oh, boy, am I not looking forward to that. Tyler Glasnow, great pitcher, 4.1 ERA in 41.2 innings. He has a 13.8 strikeouts per nine. Last time he faced the Royals, he threw five innings and struck out 12. It was a massacre. It was a nightmare to watch. But that's just what he does. He's a really good pitcher. Meanwhile, the Royals are going to send out Alec Marsh with his wonderful seven ERA in his nine innings pitch so far. Only two starts. He has just not been getting great luck with the uh, this the, with his starts. Having to go against the Dodgers for his debut. Now going against the Rays. Have fun p- pitching against the best offense in baseball, Alec Marsh. Last time he went, last time last time he pitched though, he pitched five innings and gave up three earned runs. So that's not too bad. But it was against Minnesota which is not a very good team offensively. Have fun! Anyway, on Saturday, the Rays are going to send out Shane McClanahan, who is who I expected to be the American League Cy Young winner going into this season. So far, he might be the American League Cy Young winner. He is the, uh, he's at the very least the record leader. He has an 11-1 record. This dude is practically untouchable. 2.53 ERA and 17 starts so far. But the last time we saw him, we saw him when we played the Rays. He went, he went only went 3.2 innings and gave up two earned runs. He left due to an injury, I suppose. But Royals saw him pretty well. So maybe, hopefully, they can get something off of this guy. And maybe something will uh, be different with Brady Singer. Because that's who the Royals are going to send out on Saturday. 5.8 ERA, 18 starts. His last start was 5 innings pitch, 13 hits. And now he's going against the best offense in baseball. I don't want to dwell on this. On Sunday, there is no probable pitcher listed for the Rays. It could be Zach Eflin if they just want to go with the best pitcher available. 3.25 ERA and 17 starts. He's having a great season. We also saw him um, when the when the Rays played the Royals. He uh, He went six innings, three earned runs. So he had a pretty good start overall. But maybe the Rays will just decide, you know what? We're playing a bad team. Let's just get our bad starter out of the way, who would be Taj Bradley. 5.43 ERA in 13 starts. Yeah, rare bad pitcher on the Tampa Bay Rays. Maybe they'll just kind of throw that throw that guy out just to say, hey, let's not use our good pitcher against a, a, a bad team. Let's just use a bad pitcher against him. I don't know. Cool. They, they, they could have a nice fun mid-off because who's going to pitch on Sunday? Jordan Lyles, 6.42 ERA, 17 starts. 
But here's here's something very promising for Jordan Lyles. Here's actually a legitimately good thing about Jordan Lyles. His last six starts, including one start that was against the Rays, he's had a 4.89 ERA, which I know is not amazing, but I do think that that's what we've expected for Jordan Lyles. That's what I expected he would be throughout the entire season. So maybe we're seeing some normalization with Jordan Lyles. If he can do that for the rest of the second half, honestly, I won't be too mad at him. So we'll just have to see how that goes. But whatever happens, we'll talk about it when we get there. That's going to do it for this episode of the Royal Deluxe Podcast. Thank you very much for listening. If you enjoyed this, I would really appreciate it if you gave it a rating or a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening to this on. But hey, no hard feelings if you don't. I love you all the same. Thank you very much for making the Royal Deluxe Podcast a part of your day. And I hope you're having a good one. Hope you have a good weekend. I'll talk to you again on Monday. Until then, I've been Lux and go Royals!